What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Lumbar Trucking Show. Uh, right now, coming at you right off uh, Interstate 69. You know, sometimes, sometimes that's how God works for you. He puts you exactly where you need to be when you want to be. This is episode 90. 90. We're here, man. Uh, and it stinks because, you know, I-90 is just south of me. But for today's episode, he put me right off I-69 in Perry, Michigan. Let's see. We got we left Kansas City. We got loaded up in Waterloo. It was a two-stop pickup. Uh, got loaded at the Iowa Loading Service. I grabbed a tractor from there and a set of duels. Then I headed east to Dubuque, Iowa. Nice town, by the way. Like I said, I'm bullish on the Midwest. You should be, I'm telling you, real estate people, anybody out there listening, Midwest is where it's at. God bless the Midwest. Uh, upper Iowa, I'm telling you, invest now uh, because the these small, medium-sized cities are, are where it's at because you can, guess what, afford them. Anyway, so I picked up then a small little like uh, tractor. It wasn't a tractor. It's on tracks. It was like a little dozer, uh, and that was going to a job site. So you get to see a little bit how the sausage is made with some flatbed logistics. Uh, Reefer, I know, has a lot of two stops, but on the flatbed side, you'll do a lot of like multi-stop, multi-stop loads. I've done a few of them and multi-stop pickups because, you know, it makes sense. You have that size trailer. You can fit so many pieces of equipment. Where can it go along the way? And so picked both of those up and they were going to, one went to Kent City, Michigan, then the tractor was going out to um, Sandusky, Michigan, which is north of Detroit, kind of in the middle of nowhere, a little bit of no man's land. So I got that done today and uh, I was listening to a certain show today. And then after my first pickup, I was uh, reading some tweets. And so there's some stuff on my mind and I, I knew I was going to go live. I was like, I got to drop episode 90 today. And here we are for it. And there's, there's really just two, two subjects I want to talk about. Uh, and the first and first and foremost is accountability and extreme ownership. And, so let's let's start with the good news on the on the accountability in, in the extreme ownership. So uh, drivers over at UPS uh, are set to get a, a, a large pay, pay raise. Obviously, UPS has been in the news lately with their contract negotiations with the Teamsters. And there was a, a possible strike that was going to happen all while the uh, yellow freight controversy was going on. And, you know, today it's it's been buzzing around Twitter. And now the long haul drivers at UPS they're going to be making up to $170,000 per year under their new contract. And I'm reading this tweet from Twitter from at a Pompoliano. He tweets, UPS drivers are going to make up to $170,000 per year under the new contract. Truck drivers will be out here making more than some software engineers. You love to see it. And one of a good friend of mine who I've connected with on Twitter and LinkedIn, Adam DeGroote, he says how it should be. You know, I couldn't agree more. And if you've been paying attention to the last few episodes since we started diving into the yellow drama, or you've heard about, you know, my family's trucking history, the overall sentiments of this show, you understand that we are more sympathetic towards the unions. I don't believe that unions are all there's they're not altruistic. I don't have this altruistic view that they're fucking perfect and doing all the right things. That's not true. I do think they need some updating. I think they're still a little slow. Uh, Clearly, we've, you know, We've seen those things. Justin Martin came on the show to talk about his time at USPS and their union. So I don't think of it that way. But you're seeing the effects of what a strong labor union can do for a company. UPS is not going anywhere. They're not going to take a hit from this. They're not losing any sort of money. UPS is UPS. And guess what? 
their turnover isn't going to go up. Nothing. People are going to stay there. People are going to have good careers there. You know who is going to, what this does is this sends a message to the Amazons. This sends a huge message to the labor over at Amazon of, hey, this is what can happen if you go this route. Because we talked about this when Justin Martin first came on the show. There are Amazon warehouses out in Phoenix and there are Amazon warehouses throughout the country where they're currently tapped, almost tapped out of their labor market. As in they have hired and fired or enough people quit to where they may be running out of a demographic that they can even hire. That's how bad it is. That's why I call Amazon the new plantation. That is exactly what they are. That is exactly what is on their CEO's mind. Jeff Bezos uses terms to refer to labor as human capital. And that goes to show you what type of person he is. People like Jeff Bezos could never last a day behind the wheel of a truck. If he had to search for truck parking, he'd probably fucking lose his absolute mind. He wouldn't realize it because he's never done it. He's never done the work. He's never really paid his dues. I don't want to hear this shit about him starting out of a garage. He never had to worry about anything. He never had to struggle like some of the motor carriers right now in this industry are struggling. Guys with kids and mortgages. Bezos never had to worry about that. But he's built himself a career career exploiting uh, people's hard work and willingness to work in order to get to where he is today. He's no genius. He's not a genius. He's just a glorified grifter. If you, if you, if you open up his blood vessels, he'll pour out red just the same as you and I. He's not special. And I don't think he's smarter than me in the least bit. I don't think he's smarter than anybody who's watching this or listening to this. Absolutely not. Same thing with Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a fucking glorified car salesman. The fact that people worship the ground he walks on is pathetic. The guy's a joke. Uh, there was recently an article that did come out about Tesla canceling appointments and all this kind of negligent stuff with updates and software updates coming from the top down to him. And we're going to get to top down leadership in a minute. So these people aren't on, shouldn't be on pedestals. The real people are the people like you and me. When I refer to we the people, that's us. So we need to stop worshiping these clowns and good for UPS. I'm fucking cheers. Happy to do that. And to all the other truckers out there who are against things like the FL, uh, removing the FLSA exemption that would um, allow for truckers to be paid overtime. Because if you didn't know, if you're not in the transportation industry, uh, I believe it was 1938 or whenever, it, uh, back in the 30s, they exempted truck drivers from being paid uh, overtime because of how the uh, how drivers were paid back then. It was too hard to figure out. So they just left it out because they were still by the mile and it involved agriculture. Well, that still exists. Well, guess what? You know what? You passed deregulation in 1980, which absolutely fucked everything up and became a huge race to the bottom. And if you've listened to uh, Gord's recent episode where we talk about the fraud, it's essentially became a tool of re-regulation where they just put regulations on the driver and it's done everything it could to see. You can't export the trucking labor. But they've done everything they could to kind of mimic that. That's what deregulation did. Well, guess what? Now you can do things like remove. It's funny. And Kevin McCarthy, he gets up on TV. And when he was asked about it, he said he didn't really support it because he doesn't think that the government should be getting involved with how businesses should run. Hey, douchebag. It's removing a, a government regulation. It's the removal of a regulation. It's not telling businesses to do anything. Guy's a fucking incompetent moron who's clearly influenced by the ATA because that's ATA rhetoric right there. Uh, because he also comes out and supports that he thinks 18-year-olds should go over the road 
clear cut wage suppression right there. It's, it's really easy when you lower the age of 18 because the money for an over the road truck driver to an 18 year old is a whole lot different to a third from an 18 year old to a 30 year old. So that's what these politicians are, are putting out there. So to two people out there. So I will cheers to UPS pay raise. I'm not making that kind of money. I don't care. Good to see my, uh, my fellow truck drivers out there winning guys who stayed strong, stayed dedicated, did the work, paid their dues, and they're getting it. Now UPS is going to set the standard because all the world's a stage and they are watching. People are watching. Everybody is watching. This is going to start trickling down. This is going to keep happening and we can we can cheers for that. Now, simultaneously, and we're going to get into the accountability thing in a minute because look at that. There's some extreme ownership that happened there with UPS. There was a problem. They solved it. Let's go back to Yellow Freight. And this is kind of going to be the nail in the coffin on Yellow because we've really beat this drum enough. But when it comes to Yellow Freight, and this is a tweet right here from Craig Fuller, CEO over at Freight Waves. And I really appreciate how he worded this because this tweet is actually what sparked the idea for this entire episode. And then I listened to a, another podcast and it just, it all started, like I said, it all starts forming in my mind and in my gut and I just got to send it. But Craig Fuller tweets yesterday, 7.55 a.m., the yellow bankruptcy filing makes it very clear whom the company blames for its demise, Sean O'Brien and the Teamsters. First eight pages are dedicated to rehashing the back and forth between management and the Teamsters. So like I said at the beginning of the episode, I've just said these two words of extreme ownership. Now, that's a book written by Jocko Willink and, you know, some of you might like him. You might, you might like him, might not. You think he's a little cringe or whatever because he's too moto. It doesn't really matter. I like Jacko. I like his brand. I think he's a, he's an all-around good dude. He helps businesses succeed. Uh, if you haven't listened to any of his shows, they're good. I can't listen to all of them. You know, sometimes they're a little drawn out. They're about stuff that I you know don't care about. But he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And I listen to the audio book, and it's great to listen to. Highly recommend it. And it gives prime examples of how, of how leaders need, need to be, you know, where, wherever you might be in the world, whether you're in the military or running a business. And apparently nobody at Yellow Freight read that book because how fucking pathetic can you be as a, as a company uh, to where during your bankruptcy filings, the first eight pages is bitching, moaning and complaining. Think about that for a minute. Your 99-year-old company and your leadership, your leadership, all that's on your mind, the first thing you want to do and all you've been doing since the beginning is blaming. No ownership. Absolutely none. Yellow wants to put everything on anything but themselves. Their leadership will not take any accountability for Yellow's demise. None. They won't take any fucking accountability. And guess who the fucking CEO of Yellow is? Darren D. Hawkins. D stands for dickhead. Guess what he does? He sits on the board of the ATA. So no fucking shit. He's going to do everything he can to blame the Teamsters for his own failures or his failure and lack of leadership. This is a company, by the way, who at one time has had 96 vice presidents paying them bonuses, dividends, and all this bullshit. And he's going to say, it's not my fault. And that's what he's doing. He's stomping eight pages on your bankruptcy. Is bitch moaning and planning? No, real leadership, real ownership is stepping up and saying, this is all on me. Do you know how much fucking respect that garners from like an entire community and an entire people? Is that's on me. Do you want to know, like, 
if if when people stand up like that, people have so much respect when people just own up to their shit. How many friendships are saved by just owning up to it? How in- integrity always wins. You know, I always say the truth will always win. The truth prevails. All that stuff. These sayings around fucking billboards everywhere. The truth. Yeah. The truth. Blah, blah, blah. Truth, truth, truth. Everyone wants the fucking truth. And this motherfucker still, after all this time, he still is going, wah, wah, wah. it's all them. It's them. It's them. Pathetic fucking garbage leadership. I think Darren Douchebag Hawkins should be fucking eliminated from anything in the transportation industry. He shouldn't be allowed to work in it. If I was, if I was, but cause you know, that's what they're going to do. He's going to go around with his little curmudgeons and all the pieces of shit that he's fucking slime balled in with the ATA and the cocksuckers he's got bought and paid for with the government. Because, you know, as said on this show before, government had a 30% stake. We, the taxpayer, we had a 30% stake in yellow. So by the way, that $700 million bailout they got. Yeah. You're welcome. Darren dickhead. You're fucking welcome. Comes from me. That came from Lombard. That came from the people who listen to the show. That came from we the people. You got free money. You wanted to blow it on Vegas and G-Wagons. And then you turn around and go, it was the Teamsters. Go fuck yourself. You fucking clown. You're a clown. And I know that you and I know that people at the ATA are hopefully listening to this and watching this. I know this word is getting to them. So, And you need to hear it. Because your entire life, Darren D. Hawkins, you probably, you're, you're a yes man. Everyone's always told you yes. Everyone's always said, oh, yes, everything you've done, just like any, any of your allies, they've all just said yes, and you all just stroke each other's egos. You're pathetic. You're useless. You're an embarrassment to this fucking entire country. You're an embarrassment to this industry. You're fucking a loser, period. End of story. That's the nail in the coffin on Yellow Freight. You want to fucking blame people. How pathetic is that? Could you imagine? You're caught with your pants down bankrupt 99 year old company historic company and you're going was it me with his arms out like little timmy go to hell buddy bring your sunblock while you're on your way and that segues me into another point when it comes to accountability like i said i hate getting into this because it's it's sometimes is is sometimes could seem polarizing but it needs to be said because this word isn't getting out there but i was listening and this correlate because it's just like it's leader it's 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 massing the same leadership, CEO of company or what I'm about to talk about. It's, it's the same thing because this is toxic. This is toxic amongst the leadership and who and who's, quote, running our country. I was listening to the Sean Ryan show today and Tyler Vargas Andrews goes on the show. Uh, and if you don't know, who he is he's uh, one of the Marines who was injured during the withdrawal of Afghanistan. And I heard him on a show several months ago, I believe a show called Bridge. Very, very good episode. Uh, to, you know, life story. This one on the Sean Ryan show, five hour episode goes into a lot of detail. And when I tell you that this was one of the hardest things I've listened to, and I've listened to a lot of fucked up shit on the road, seen, you know, seen bodies out on the road, you know, motorcycle accidents, bodies pancaked, you know, it, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty calloused to a lot of the things that you could see or hear. And listening to Tyler's story is, is it probably hurts a little bit more having been to Afghanistan, having lost one of my good friends, KIA in Afghanistan, having like, uh, you know, lived it, experience having friends who've gone, who've gone back, et cetera, friends whose mental health has been affected by it. So maybe it hits me a little bit differently than the standard American civilian. And I get that. But I think to, to hear his story going into detail about how specifically how from the top down, 
their rules of engagement. You know, they were literally watching the Taliban execute people like in 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 like in eyes distance, 150, 200 yards, not allowed to do anything like this. That's unthinkable, like to watch women being slaughtered. He, he tells one specific story of a woman, you know, who, who was trying to fight to get into the airport. And she goes to try to slit her own throat with razor wire because she knows about her fate and demise that's going to happen. And they can't go back. They're not allowed to fight the Taliban. They're not allowed to do any of this stuff. The rules of engagement are so bad. They had possible, they had possible identification on, uh, you know, a, a suicide bomber who they knew was, it, it, you got to listen to it. I, I can't even put it into words because it gets me a little bit too emotional, but their rules of engagement, they couldn't do anything. And this is from the top down. You had a Lieutenant Colonel who, when asked about like, who can authorize, you know, them taking out these targets? A lieutenant colonel saying, I don't know. This, are you kidding? We're talking about U.S. military, and this is from the top down. And I think the worst part of the story about all is when the president of the United States visited Tyler. And he's in the hospital bed. And, you know, he's, he's got all these surgeries. He lost an arm and a leg. The first thing Joe Biden does, is he goes over to shake his hand. And he doesn't have a fucking hand. It's the first thing the guy does. And then he kind of just like grabs his nub. And then the first, and he, and he says that the first thing the president talked about were his kids who were in the military. Just absolutely clear. This is how un, this is how unrelated these people, it's just like, it should, it, in a normal world where people aren't focused on 30 second sound bits and the 30 seconds of attention, you can offer something. Like if this was a hundred years ago, People would have lost their minds over this. This would have been fucking un unreal. Just like with what's going on in the current la labor market. If truck because that's the thing. If truck drivers were treated the way they are today, back in the 60s and 70s, politicians would have buckshot in their car. That's how it used to be. And the 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 effect was they were they were paid a decent living wage and weren't treated like garbage. Funny how that works. It's, it's funny how that works when you take the power away from the people who actually do the work. Funny to see what happens when, when you remove that power and you give it all to, you know, go government influenced agencies. Funny how that works. This th like just the idea of the president doing that to somebody who literally got his limbs blown off, just so out of touch. And his mom and he talks about how his mom, his mom cussed him out, cussed out the president saying, you better fucking take care of him for the rest of his life. And, and the next thing the president does is he goes, he goes right up to him as close as he can. He goes, what do you want? Do you, like, I, it would have taken me every ounce of whatever. I mean, I, he, could, he was probably sedated or whatever, you know, having been surgery. It would have taken me so much not to absolutely deck the motherfucker in the face to have that. Effect. What do you want? Whispering his face. And just like, I've never been. I was like, listen to that whole podcast. I was, I was, I was in tears hearing about the failure of leadership, the lack of leadership. It's insane that in 2023 with the wealth of information of that, a wealth of information we have and the technology we have and the ability to learn so much and the ability to be whoever we want to be. We sacrifice everything when it comes to our leadership, the people who are calling the shots, making the rules, passing laws. We say, Oh, well, Guess it's got to be these fucking piece of shit oligarchs. Oops, got to go vote for the lesser of two evils. No, fuck that. That's the most pathetic thing ever. And that's why we have pathetic leadership. So when it comes to going to the voting booth, 
uh, come 2024, you can bet your fucking ass I'll never check the name of Joe Biden. Pathetic. I don't care who it is running against him. It could be Mickey Mouse. It could be fucking a, a clown. It doesn't matter. It could be a lizard. A lizard could be the GOP nominee, a, a, an animal. A non-human could be the GOP nominee, and he will get my, or they will get my vote. Period. It's absolutely garbage nonsense that these people. I've talked about Greg Kassar enough. How detached, and this guy claims to be somebody from the working class. He's that detached from truck drivers. He'll go out there for the photo ops on the picket line, but the second a constituent in his district who has a brain is talking to him about specific regulations. He comes back with a regurgitated, computer-generated AI message back to me. Pathetic. It's almost like when these guys go to D.C., it's like they have to go to this mandatory brainwashing plant where they like go in on a conveyor belt, and they go in, and a bunch of soap goes in their ears, and it's this like chemical solution that makes them forget uh, anything and like has them lose common sense or, or lose their abilities of, of just their overall life. It's like they go through that and then they go in D.C. and these people have their hands on the nuclear button. It's just I, I'm just outraged by it. And I, I'm not going to stay silent about it. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to be worried about what other people I know might think about me. I could give a fuck less. But there's no way we should have known from the second. And Sean Ryan says this the second. This guy got on TV. He can't put together a coherent sentence. I swear to God, there could be a, a, a Putin could fire a nuke tomorrow. And he could nuke New York City tomorrow. And there would be people in Central Park holding on to trees before they get absolutely obliterated saying, thank God Trump was gone. That's the that's where we're at. That's where we're at is like we'll sacrifice everything. And I have no inhibition saying this. But at the end of the day, I think a second term of Trump probably wouldn't have sucked as bad as shit now because of all the businesses going just even trucking wise. Jesus Christ. This man is so incompetent and has built himself off gaslighting. Every time you go on Instagram or Twitter, he keeps talking about how good the economy is and about adding jobs. You're not even making it like he's making it. It's like he thinks we're stupid. It's like he thinks all these people are fucking stupid. And what's crazy is from all these. And you actually have viable people who want to primary him. Marion Williamson, Marion Williamson, great person. Democrats discredited her because they tried to paint her as a crystal lady. Guess what? I want a crystal lady before a fucking brain-melting idiot. RFK's running. They're trying to do everything they can to make him look like an idiot. He's not an idiot. They try to do everything he can to say he doesn't like Jews or something. All he was doing was talking about data. That's what they'll do. That's how. That's what this entire, entire establishment will fucking do. So do anything to keep the worst possible person in power so they can keep their status quo. So we, the people can keep suffering because we're all dumb and ignorant and don't deserve it. And they need to keep their fucking game going. It's, it's pathetic. It's abhorrent. And I don't think people should tolerate it anymore. And so when it comes to democracy, which if you know, which for the most part could, you know, sounds like a total failure in this country. Uh, if we're going to have democracy, that's the thing. People people talk about saving democracy. You think showing up to vote for Joe Biden is saving democracy? Where were you at in the primary? What what happened to Bernie Sanders? Why didn't he win that primary? Oh, because they railroaded him and cheated. But then you want to turn around and call uh, 
you know, you called, uh, what's it called? You, you know, you talked Russian interference and all that other stuff. What the fuck does that mean? How dumb am I supposed to be to just like buy into that theory, buy into that logic of, ah, well, he probably, I think like that, the theory of Donald Trump cheated in 2016. Yeah, they cheated to get Bernie Sanders out of the nom, but that doesn't really matter because what matters is just getting rid of Trump. Oh my God. It's like just talking about it out loud makes me want to rip my eyes out of my socket. That's like, that's where we are. If I'm in Italy or Germany or, or France or anywhere right now, even though France's president sucks too, Macron's an idiot. If I was in any other country, I'm fucking laughing my ass off. There's a reason why Russia walked into Ukraine because they knew it didn't fucking matter. We're going to go ahead and dump money into them. We're just going to fucking alley-oop, toss money there, funnel money into Ukraine. There's a reason why Russia just walked in. Of course, because they looked at exactly what was happening and they said, no brainer, easy. But like I said, that that's enough about that. That's just true feelings from somebody who's been out here, you know, doing this type of work. And it's just, it's, it crushes me to see people in leadership positions, not being able to take accountability, not being able to take extreme ownership and not owning up to their mistakes and their faults. Because for me to just turn around and do a complete 180 from everything I just said, all it would take is one nightly address from the president to, to and walk up there and say, this is all on me. That's like, do you know how much like respect I'd fucking, I'd get down on one knee and kiss the ring for that type of shit, that type of leadership. Cause that's leadership. That's what leadership is. Owning up to it and doing the next right thing, moving forward, putting the best thing forward, listening, always listening to, to what the situation going on and doing that. Could you imagine, imagine how powerful that would be to get everything. Hey, this is on me. Gerald Ford did do this. Gerald Ford went out and gave a whole speech about how everything isn't going well right now. He talked about how it's a problem. He took ownership of it. So it's not like out of the realm of possibility. We're not that far detached from, from Gerald Ford. It's not that long ago. I know we think of it as ancient history. We think 2008 was ancient history. It's not. That's all it would take. One night later, this is on me. I'm not doing well. I'm not doing a good job. There's, there's, no, there's no harm in doing that. If he walked up there and said, you know what? I don't think I was cut out for this. I'm not doing a good job. This is the situation. That's it. I, I'd fucking tip, tip my cat to that. Respect. Awesome. Shit. Might even vote for you for that. Shows you're a real leader. That's what we need to start seeing from leadership. But all right, that's enough. I could keep going on and on about that fucking goofer brain, uh, jello eating moron for, for hours. But we're going to we're going to move forward on, a, on a, the title, the title part of this episode. And now I posted about this on Instagram. I kind of explained the caption, but you've seen in a lot of my videos. I've used the. Uh, I've used this term of, of, of we sleep on the battlefield, I'll say it in videos. I'll say it in a lot of my running videos, uh, referencing the job, referencing do, doing things. And I had put it in one video previously, but essentially the, the story of, of where the term comes from is. So in June of 1800, so Napoleon was just elected uh, greatly, great majority, just elected first council of France. And at that time, and then uh, the, and then the war of the, the second coalition started, uh, you know, they decided, oh, well, we're seeing uh, the dissolution of the of the monarchy in France. So Europe's like, let's go fuck them up. We need to go put back in the bourbons and stuff. You know, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but you get the point. So brings you to the Battle of Marengo. But hold on. Let me actually 
go back in that. So Napoleon first takes his army over the Alps. Third person to do that, third general to do this. Uh, Charlemagne did it before him, and it wasn't until uh, Hannibal before that, Hannibal with the elephants. So he's the third fucking uh, boss man to take an army over the Alps. <clears throat> and although he didn't have elephants, he had cannon tubes, eight and four pound cannon with tubes that weighed a, qu a quarter ton. These 500 pound tubes, 100 men on each side, dragging them up an 8,100 foot fucking mountain. Absolutely built different. But like I said previously, the DNA of those people who dragged that cannon tube up that mountain, you got that same fucking strength. It's right, it's right here, just in case you, you needed to know that. So he took them all the way through the Alps. And then after they're done doing probably one of the hardest things those guys have ever done in their life, now they got to go meet the enemy on the field of battle. And this is a well-trained fucking Habsburg Austrian army ready to fucking absolutely eat shit, like eat shit and fucking win. And and the Battle of Marengo was, was rough, man. I, I'll tell you, it was like reading that chapter uh, of the biography, you know, I was just flipping pages I, I you know if you if you're looking at me i like my my mouth was water and i was like one of those dogs in resident evil just like fired up i wanted to fucking run through a brick wall get me fucking juiced and you know it goes into detail you know the french at one point were fighting so hard they were pissing on their muskets to cool them down like that's how fucking balls to the wall it is and you know essentially the, the austrians have been winning throughout the day they're pushing the french back and it eventually, and then finally, General Desai, who, who unfortunately was KIA towards the end of that battle, he, he links back up with, with his cavalry. And then Napoleon gives the call to his army. He says, we've gone back far enough. Finally, you know, this is, this is the turning point. Because Desai came with the cavalry. The Austrians don't know the cavalry's coming. Because the Austrians, it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Austrians are ready to fucking... Dude, they're ready to slam that laptop shut till Monday, baby. 5 p.m., bayonets up. They're ready. They're like, we got this in the bag. This is fucking locked up. Pumped. They were drunk off winning, like, all day. And in the fourth quarter, man, two-minute warning, basically. At the fucking two-minute warning, Napoleon drops back in the fucking pocket. And he says, we've gone We've gone back far enough today. And then he rallies to them. Soldiers, it is custom that I bivouac on the field of battle. Which, man, I couldn't imagine being there. If I heard that shit when he was there. And these dudes are exhausted, man. Like I said, they were just pissing on their fucking muskets. Okay? This wasn't like just some, you know, march on a line, you know, Civil War revolutionary shit. This is, you know, the predispositions of trench warfare going on. This is some tough shit. Here's that, which, like. How do you, like, hearing that, man, he says, it is custom I sleep on the field of battle. And, you know, the, there was, what ended up, you know, the Austrians immediately start to, start to charge. They start volleying their rounds down. And the, the French at this point only had six working guns. Goodbye, guns, I mean cannons. And, you know, Napoleon being an artillery officer himself, the French being very good at artillery, they start, they start volleying their, volleying their artillery and a canister shot blows an ammunition wagon wide open. And the Austrians are just fucking depleted. Absolutely. Like I'm talking like, like Troy Palamalu level, strong safety tackle, just took them right off of his, took them right off their boots. Fucking boom. 
they're 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 delirious. They're knocked out. They dude, they they can't get back up. They're concussed, dude. They're seeing fucking, they're seeing stars. But you know, they do whatever they can. They're basically running around in circles, and they just keep trying to charge, and they just get absolutely fucking butchered, dude. Owned, wrecked. Like I said, two minute warning. Fucking right down to the end zone. French fucking crush it. And as tired as they were, they ended up bivouacking on the field of battle. Now, I took that as a modern translation of saying we sleep on the battlefield. And and where I think it's relevant to, to, to this brand is kind of because there was a point in my life where I went back far enough. And when I think back to when I think back to, to fall of 2019, making the decision uh, to, to move to Texas and even before that, actually, let's go back a little bit before it was going through that that negotiation of a promotion that was offered. Um, it, that was the far back enough when I turned down uh, that promotion because after negotiating for the salary didn't go my way. Um, that was like as far back as I would go a- at that point. It was enough. Nope. We've gone back far enough. And, you know, I got I got married in, in September, September 21st, 2019. And then shortly after that, the plans were set in motion to, to start to move to Texas. And that that's when that's when things were set. That's kind of like when General DeSay shows up with the cavalry right there. Because I've gone, I went far back enough. I had been taking nothing but L's for the last several years. I got, you know, I got fat. I was fucking full of brain fog. I wasn't executing at my fullest potential. And so when it comes to the term, you know, some people think it has to do with staying over the road and where that does kind of sound, sound cool. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're sleeping, you know, that the United States being over the road is the field of battle. It's the idea. And it's a mentality you take with you of dude, you're going to take, you're going to take some shit, you know, life is going to suck, but you, there's gotta be a point at some time where you've gone back far enough. And this is for anybody out there listening. There's got to be a point any time, at, at any given time where you're just like, I've had enough. And you just got to start fucking bulldozing forward. And that's it. And you might take L's along the way. You might have to pivot. You might have to do this. You might have to do that. But no matter what, at the end of the day, it's about winning the day. It's about winning what's in front of you. Is no matter what, you're going to take whatever's going to hit you. You're going to you're going to sleep on the battlefield. You're going to take it and then you're going to keep going. Then you're going to keep going again. You don't let your enemies get the best of you. There's a solid lesson in that, in, in that phrase. There's a solid lesson that you can put down as a leader onto anybody is things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. You're going to fail. The failures will come. And if you just take a failure and you just, and you just give up, could you imagine at the end of Marengo, the point is just like, you know what? We, we need to keep, let them, let them, you know, they had the best of us. It's too late. We're too tired. Oh, well, you know, we, we made it this far. At least we crossed the Alps. Are you, what kind of story is that story? Wouldn't have even fucking made it into the book. He wouldn't have gone on to do the rest of the shit. He did like, I don't know, revamp the, the world and, and, and do like the the thousands of other things that we're still living in the products of today. You do that in life, just uh, I guess not, dude. How many carriers have we seen go out of business this year? Motor carriers, not just contractors getting out or people selling their trucks. Motor carriers have gone out of business. You just go out and you say, uh, 
give up. What are you going to do? Go home and sit on the couch? No, go home and go after the next thing. Figure out what else you can get. What else can you give? What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do for yourself? How are you going to make it happen? You need to have, that's the mentality to have is the, we sleep on the battlefield. I know it sucks. I know it's coming. What am I going to do next? That's it. Because at some point, for, for everybody, it's different. For me, it was I couldn't deal with it being told no anymore. And for years, since college, I've been told no on so many different occasions. I'd gone on so many different job interviews. And I've been given every excuse under the sun. And, dude, it does a lot of damage to, to, your, to your mental health. It does a lot of damage to who you think you are and what you think your potentials are. And it did. And it fucking beat me down. It's part of why I ballooned the fuck up. Part of why I love fucking cranking beers, you know, three, four nights a week. It does. But eventually you got to get you. Eventually you got to stop realizing that these people who are telling, you no are not are not worth it. You need to start saying I am. That's the thing. Once you start saying I am instead of oh, they said they said they said who gives a shit what they said? I don't give a shit what. Like, so Darren D. Hawkins, he could call me right now. He could call me right now and tell me, oh, I'm just an idiot, loudmouth. I don't know shit. Oh, boy, you're just a 33-year-old kid. I work this on. I don't give a fuck, Darren. Where's Yellow at? What are you doing? Let me guess. You're making up another contingency how to fuck people over? President of the United States call me right now. Oh, I did what I had to. I did what I had to. You know what's funny? I didn't even mention this, but what did the president do during the Afghan withdrawal? Blamed. Blamed everything on the previous admin. Blamed. That's all he's done. Anything anything good that's happened, it's all him. Anything bad? No. It was the last guy. It was the last guy. Last guy. You think I'm dumb? That's like, so anytime somebody's doing that, when when you when somebody tells you no, or when somebody doesn't show you that you're worth it, take a step back, recalibrate, look at who they are, see what problems they got going on in their life. See who they are. See what they've really got going for them. Is it money? If it's money, they got cool. Good for them. Good for you, man. You made it. What are you doing with it? Are you, you know, are you just sitting around gloating, whatever, acting like you're, you're the fucking bees knees, best thing to walk on the face of the planet Earth? Or are you doing something for people? You giving back? You being a, you being a, you being an actual leader? It's a whole big difference. So that's just something I wanted to get off my my chest and leave you guys with. That that's the mentality. That's the brand that 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 Lombard's bringing, uh, bring bringing into this, especially especially from the level of the driver fitness level. I'm leaning very much into this. Like I said, I want to do an entire episode where I can recap what uh, recap the CDL Life Turning Point Summit. because It was really great and I learned a lot. But one thing that I was told by a lot of people is I, is I really appreciate what you're saying and what you're doing, especially for you know wanting drivers to be healthy and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, me so the, the Mike Lombard that existed uh, – in, in 20 in 2018 when I first started you know my my weight loss when I first started you know really getting after it making changes uh that person had not the least bit of energy to do anything that I'm doing today to get involved in this type of advocacy for a specific industry or to record a show or to run marathons or to coach drivers on their fitness or um go to these networking events, these freight, uh, you know, these freight specific events, I wouldn't have the energy for, for any of that. I didn't. I, I barely had the energy to, to work the hours that I was working in the week. I'd be exhausted. I was gassed all the time. I didn't have the energy to go to the gym. 
Once that changed, whole everything turned around from them. Everything turned around. And yeah, sure, I don't have the bank account that I'd like to have. Oh well, bank accounts not truthfully not everything. Um, and I know that you know I know that sometimes that sounds just like rhetoric and just saying, but it's the truth because if the bank account was everything, I, I wouldn't be making this show. I could tell you that I'd probably be crying in a corner somewhere if it was really all about money. So when you make that turnaround when it comes to your health and health and wellness, and I've said this in the videos, if the, if the drivers of America made the change in their health and fitness, you would see a huge change in this industry. Because look, the Teamsters are not as strong as they were when the original Lombard was struck in. They're not. Membership is like fucking plummeted. It's not that big. Yellow's out. You know, they just lost 22,000 members with yellow going under. Nobody wants, and there's a reason why nobody wants to hire them. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so in lieu of there being a union, a strong enough union for drivers, as specifically in the over the road sector, because that's where I think the unions, I think the teams, it would take 50 guys at Warner right now. And it would turn this whole industry upside down. Problem is nobody stays at Warner long enough to want to change. The ones that do are gaslit into thinking that unions are communism or something like that, which is, Weird rhetoric, you know, that, that, that I, I'll never understand that logic, considering a lot of unions started from veterans of the First and Second World War. And I don't know, were they pussies? Are they, are they communists? Probably not. Uh, I, I don't think they were. I think people who fought in World War I are probably some of the staunchest, most badass dudes there are. And guess what? They had no problem going against the National Guard or, or anything uh, in order to, you know, get a day off and a little bit of a pay bump. And now, you know, we have truckers who can't even agree on giving themselves a pay raise. So I, I don't, I don't get where that lot, where that logic got lost. Like I said, I think a lot of it has to do with politicians and they're lying for their control, but not to get off track in lack of there being good representation for, for drivers, the best thing drivers can do to make a change is, and I, and I know I'm echoing Andy for selling this, Andy Frisell on this is to take care of their physical health is if they become, you know, is if they become their absolute best personal excellence. He says it all the time. Personal excellence is your number one rebellion. So if drivers can become, become fit, because I mean, look at it from the point of view of say Darren D Hawkins, say every single yellow driver was a marathon running fucking plate carrying, wearing screaming, absolute, uh, you know, savage. What if, what if, if those were the, his drivers, probably would have thought twice. Probably would have thought, maybe I need to talk to them. Probably wouldn't have thought of them as just dumb. Probably wouldn't have thought of them as just human capital, as losers like him and Jeff Bezos think. When you become an absolute fucking weapon, and when you become something that could be feared, you know, Machiavelli said that better be feared than love. It's absolutely right. I'm sorry. But in order to get what you want and, and on the employment side of things, they don't have to love you. Oh, they do love you. They buy you fucking pizza on Fridays. Remember? That's love. That's a company loving you. No. You want them to fear you. I have libertarian and conservative friends who say all the time that the government should fear the people. Same same logic. Same logic right there. Better to be feared than love. So if every driver just becomes an absolute fucking machine, think how different it is. When drivers start having the energy to get involved, start advocating. That's the thing. They don't want you 
to feel this way. They don't want you to feel healthy. They don't want you out there running. They want you foggy. They want you sick. They want you dependent. They want you docile. Because when they can do that, they can control you. They can convince you that you're not worth it. But when you make yourself better, when you go out, when you make yourself elite and fucking cut yourself out of steel, you know what you deserve. When you start saying, I am, then they're going to start looking at you differently. They don't want you doing that. They want you to say, they want you to look and be, I'll say, I'm lucky to have a job. Lucky to have a job. What? Are you kidding me? There's people here doing this job illegally. We have Mexican carriers hauling freight illegally in the United States, cutting rates. We have criminals. We have fraud in this industry run down. And it's all being allowed and it's greenlit by the people who are telling you that you're lucky to have a job. No, not up for debate. Not true. So go out there, be excellent. Go out there and get the fuck after it because it's exactly what they don't want you to do. Going for, going for a walk, rebellion. Going for a run, rebellion. Picking up and throwing your tarps, fighting back. Day by day, we sleep on the battlefield. That's what you do. Victory by victory. Win the day. Win the next thing. Whatever the next thing is, go out and do it. You have 24 hours in front of you. What are you going to do in that 24 hours to, to, that, that gets you down the road you want to be? Do that. Go out there and do that. Thank you again, guys, for listening. That'll do it for episode 90. Uh, I really appreciate you all um, listening to the show. Please share the show if you like any ounce of what I said or if any of it motivated you. If you think that there's somebody out there that could benefit another driver, um, you know, it, it, it really means a lot. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's been a, it's been a great time doing this. I, I can tell you when it comes to doing the show, the people I've met all along the way have been, it's been such an honor all the drivers who've come on hearing their stories. And guess what? We need more of those stories out there. So if you are a driver, you want to come on here, tell your trucking story, come on. Cause it's important. You know, uh, the idiots like Elon and Jeff, they might not think it's important. I do. And if, if that doesn't matter, guess what? There's, there's other people out there. You know, we've got over 11,000 plays now on this show. There's other people who think your story is pretty fucking great. You are, you're 100% worth it. I could tell you right that. I could tell you that right now. So guys, go out there and get the fuck after it.